Yo, before we get into this podcast, I want to ask for a huge favor from you. And that is if you have or you are getting value from this podcast, if you were to leave us a review or subscribe, it would mean the world. And quite frankly, selfishly, it's because I want to, we want to continue sharing these conversations, this medicine with the world. And when you leave a review, when you subscribe, it's a vote. And we would love to have your vote. Nonetheless, thank you so much and enjoy. Right. And that actually does take deep reflection and work to do that, you know, because otherwise subconsciously we are that thing. That thing is us. It's in us. We're in it. We're in the cycle, right? It's like a fish in water. A fish doesn't know that it's in water. That's its environment. You know, Mm. we don't know any better. We're in our environment. You know, as much as we think to ourselves, I'll never be like my mom or dad. Trust me, you will most likely end up like one of them unless we do the significant work to step out of the cycle. This is a perfect way to start the podcast with a little blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Oriana. Yo. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. We're getting silly out here. This is a great way to let the platform just let this let this day start. That is, hell yeah! I'm grateful to have you here. And yeah, and community is always a great way to start a day. Mm, Truth. Yeah, happy to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, and it's going to be it's going to be great. I'm I'm so pumped. But we're just going (laughs) to we're just going to jump right in. What is your intention for this conversation for this journey? We are about to take on yeah man intention i just want to you know it's this is the intention that i have for most things in my life where i know Mm -hmm. like it has the it has power behind it like i just want to surrender just surrender to the process surrender to the experience be present be in it be with it you know not forever and i always ask you know my like my prayer for the work that i do in every interaction with people I just ask, you know, God to use me as an instrument, right? Mm. Give me the words. So it's not me talking, right? Like the words are coming through me, but right. It's my, my prayer is that it comes from a higher, a higher place. Mm. I'm going to straight up piggyback the hell out of that. And yeah, just in my piggybacking, carrying a backpack of truth, I keep coming back to truth. And that's one thing that will very quickly have me hop out of the driver's seat and my consciousness floats away is trying to get stuck in the ego and wanting it to look and be pretty and, and mm. make sure that my, my quotes and everything is on fleek. And yeah. I would much rather be a vessel, as you said, an instrument for whatever needs to be expressed and knowing that how it shows up is exactly how it's supposed to show up as ums, pauses, deep breaths, tears, whatever that is, it's, it's all exactly as it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. So true. You know, I, I, whenever I rehearse or have rehearsed like a presentation or having a conversation with somebody, whatever it is, like whenever it's, I like scripted or rehearse it in my mind, it never flows as cleanly as easily. And as it does when I'm just like, let myself be totally present in free flow. Um, and just like trust, just trust, like 
the process, right? And like, mm-hmm. whatever needs to be said is going to come to me in the moment. So mm-hmm. I might ask you sometimes though, I will say like, what is that word? <laughs> like the word on the tip of my tongue. I'm sure I'll do the same damn thing and be like, what's that word? <laughs> oh, right. It's yeah. yes. Like what? Yes. That's all you got. Yes. And it's perfect because you said trusting the process, which I'm finding that in my journey recently, that simplicity and oftentimes these very simple truths that we hear, we're like, oh yeah, duh, trust, yeah. trust the process, love yourself, surrender. It's, it's almost like you've, you've been sucking on cough drops for so long that your tongue has just gone raw and you're like, I'm just done with it. And we can oftentimes like almost like devalue it because we hear it so frequently, but like trusting the process is something that I personally have struggled with my entire life. Hence you pointing at surrender to me, the opposite of surrender is not trusting the process. Mm. That's so true. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so is life. We're always, or at least for me, I'm predicting and, and trying to, to make and force and, and create an uh, outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Which represents an attachment, right? Attachment to an outcome. So now like when it doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen, you know, I, I've just created a reason for myself to be disappointed. Oh, do you think that that's intentional, but like from an unconscious, like an unconscious intentional thing? Mm. I think everything is like unconscious and intentional, right? Because like, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way that we can operate outside of our belief systems and our mm. belief systems are, are like our, our identities are attached to our belief systems. Most people are walking throughout life, like very much attached to a, a victim identity. Hmm. You know, I, I, I feel like the victim identity, which who's it's, it's contrast is the victimizer identity. It's kind of like a mask. Like we take it on, put it on and we take it off as is convenient for us. Right. But we, it's totally unconscious. We don't even realize that in whatever moment that we're operating in, we're wearing the victim identity because that's actually serving us in some way. Or it did. Or did. Right. So in whatever way, like, like if I could, when I create a disappointment, when anybody creates a disappointment, typically what we are, we are actually disappointed in is ourselves, but we're projecting that disappointment out onto a situation or onto another person, right? I'm so disappointed in this person or in this outcome or in this situation, but we're truly mm. disappointed in ourselves. You know, the victim identity really keeps us, um, it gives us the excuse to play small and, uh, and to like stay safe basically. Hmm. You know, it's, it's an attempt to, to, it's a survival attempt. Mm. And would you say that kind of points at like, in a way, an avoidance of responsibility, because if it's not my fault, air quote, so to speak, it's not my fault. I don't have to do anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the place where most people operate, right? Like, like everybody wants the most desirable outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Like they want the best health, the best body, the best career, the best partner and relationship. People don't actually want to do the work to get there. You know, like there's a, to the, to the process, right? Rather than finding joy in the process of whatever steps it's going to take, right? To get the best level of health you could be at, the healthiest relationships, the career of your dreams, the business of your dreams, you know, mm. even even like education right like 
sometimes we we have so much resistance just towards reading a book or anything that would expand us in some way, right? Because if I don't expand myself, then I, I, I can have a, a what feels like a like a good, a logical, a real reason for why I would make mistakes, why I would do things that hurt people, why I do things that hurt myself, you know, things like that. Mm. I can just stay there, you know, co- that complacency, right, which is like is a poison. You know, it's it's essentially the same as living in untruth. You know, the truth is that we are limitless. And we're capable of anything and everything. Sure. The only thing in the way of that is ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, the barriers we create for ourselves with our minds. Mm-hmm. Which, in essence, everything you're pointing at, again, comes back to we do have choice in the matter. And it comes down to ultimately taking responsibility. And the opposite of that responsibility is this victimization. It it mm-hmm. de, it defaces and, and denotes any kind of having to really step up to the plate and, and face ourselves. And it's, it all kind of points at what uh, I think it's Stephen Pressfield wrote the book, the war of art and how mm-hmm. the thing between us and everything that we've ever wanted, our potential, our limitlessness, as you pointed out is resistance. And I don't remember where I heard this quote, but it said that resistance is the compass pointing in the direction of the thing that we most seek in our life or we most often seek in our life. And when I heard that, I'm just like, shit, that, that sucks. Like that's a, that's a, if that is a, if that is a truth, right. Then that means then the thing that we oftentimes don't want to do is the thing that we need to do. For example, getting up this morning, my head's like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to do anything. I'm it's Saturday. We, we've been working all week. Wouldn't it just be so nice to just lay down and do nothing? And I'm like, yeah, I hear you. I totally hear you friend. And I love you. And at some point (laughs) you, you had your way and now it's, it's time to get up anyways, but circling back to this, this victimization topic, a lot of us are in a space where we are unwilling to do the work and either unwilling to do the work or I would even point at we haven't allowed ourselves to have the opportunity to dive into the work and find a way inside of the work that works for us. So for example, I've been working on finding ways to express myself and to do gratitude, but also like have fun with it and gamify it. And some of the processes that people lay out, which are well-intentioned and they've gone through the process and they've found that this is the way, like this is the meditative way. I was playing with this one process this woman created and it was uh, Maya last name is slipping my mind, but her thing was about gratitude and her process was about being able to, actualize upon an intended future living it as if it's now mm-hmm. because when we can we when we can become vibrationally in alignment with that thing very much in this moment we begin to attract it towards ourselves so absolutely yeah well that in the brain doesn't know the difference yes because there's like the spiritual understanding which is like vibrational alignment and some people are like what get the hell out of here yes right? but like scientifically <laughs> yes speaking, your brain, our brains do not know the difference between imagination and reality. Yes. That we can actually create reality through imagination and visualization, mm. which is one of the techniques of some of the highest performing athletes and Olympians in the world. 
Almost all of them. Yeah, this is how they win. They visualize themselves winning. They visualize themselves standing on the platform, crossing the finish line, all of those things. But we don't, we don't typically, you know, get to a place where we visualize ourselves like killing it in a presentation at work yeah. or, you know, like in a truly like loving, fulfilling relationship of our dreams, right? Mm. Like, instead, we'll like, we'll meet a person and then we need them to become and be the person of our dreams, right? Like we need to shape them and mold them like they're made of Play-Doh <laughs> and we need to make them be that, that thing, right? Rather than just being open to receiving that thing, no matter what package it, it shows up in. Different thing, right? Because we can, we have the ability to create very powerfully with our minds. But we don't have the ability to control every single parameter, mm-hmm. right? So like, if we want to be open to, to truth and to receiving, uh, let's say, for example, love, to receiving belonging, you know, the opportunity to belong, community, relationship, um, acceptance, support, right? But so then be open to receiving it no matter how it shows up. Yeah. Right? It might not be an intimate partner relationship the way it shows up, you know? Love, acceptance, support, belonging, that can be a a platonic friendship, Mm. you know? Or it might be the other thing, right? You might think to yourself like, it's, I, I, I would like more friendships. I'm not ready for a partnership, but then, you know, when we visualize that thing and we open actually truthfully in our truth, open ourselves up to receiving it. Right. And it shows up in a potential partnership. And then we're like, eh, I'm not ready. <laughs> Go away. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, are you open to receiving love or are you not? It seems right. Like the moment it shows up, our reaction says a lot because our, our reactions and our behaviors are uh, directly in alignment with what we believe, you know? So we will say like, we want these things, right? I want, I want well-being. I want health. I want the best body I can have. I want the best relationship I can have. Right. But what do I believe about my ability to actually have those things manifest those things, whether or not I deserve and am worthy of those things. Mm. For me, in my experience, what I have found working with clients, 99.9% of the stuff comes down to worthiness, self-worth, which I think is directly tied to deservedness, right? If you don't think that you are worthy or that you deserve a certain thing, a certain relationship with a person, a certain opportunity, you know, in your career path, whatever it might be, you just cannot manifest it. You know, you can visualize it. And the thing is, like, we manifest, we can manifest really rapidly by visualization and things like that. Those techniques we were just talking about, meditating, you know, opening yourself up to receiving it. But if you don't think you're worthy of it, for one, even if it did show up, you wouldn't even recognize it. Oh, yeah. Your hand's closed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. You've heard that theory, the open hand, closed hand. Yeah, nothing can get into my closed fist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A full cup can receive nothing more. Yeah. Wow. And I, I, I thought it was like a. So I've recently discovered that like my core wound, or one of my core wounds at least, is of or relating to self worth and the the belief that you know I am that I am and what I am is worthy and worthy of love, worthy of um, 
worthy of abundance, worthy of, you know, full embodied health and everything. And not because of any external source outside of myself, but because I am that I am. And I think so many of us walk around with this level of, I am only enough if, and there's like different layers to it. It's like, oh, I'm only worthy of this amount of income. I'm only worthy of this type of love. And even as you said, we can intend, we can intend and put our thoughts into, I want this thing. But if our body is conditioned and the body is the subconscious mind, as Joe Dispenza says, the body is the subconscious mind. If my subconscious is wired for unworthiness and not enoughness, even if that thing that I was intending shows up, my hand is closed and I don't think that I'm worthy, I can't possibly begin to receive it. Right. Absolutely. And what that often looks like in reality, because most people don't have consciousness around uh, that they feel unworthy of a thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are walking around with unworthiness, but they they wouldn't actually articulate yes, I have this feeling about myself, right? It hasn't come to the surface yet because they don't know what it looks like. But many times what it actually looks like in reality is the belief system that they have to earn. They have to, they can only have those things after engaging in so many acts, right? That it's acts, behaviors, doings of things that will earn their way towards relationship and love, Mm. earn their way towards financial abundance, earn their way towards, um, you know, health and well-being. And I am inherently worthy of dignity and respect, abundance, love, etc. You name it. I was inherently worthy the moment I was born. I was born worthy. And there's nothing that can diminish a person's worthiness, whether like acts doing good or doing bad cannot like doing good doesn't make you more worthy and doing bad doesn't make you less worthy. Mm. We are worthy. We were born that way as God's children. So you're worthy. If you, if you stand on the platform of, I was already, I was born worthy. I am worthy of everything that I desire. Right. I am worthy of good and everything that, that uh, would bring joy and fulfillment into my life. And then from that place, you can visualize and, you know, meditate on and get into vibrational alignment and attract that towards yourself. You will manifest 10 times faster than if you're just doing the visualizations and meditations and the practices. So you will, if you will, right? Like the, 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 um, yeah, the practices, I guess is the best way to refer to that group of things that we could do right? You would manifest so much faster than if you are just doing the practices, but you haven't changed the belief system. You know, I was working with a client recently and she, so she was continuing to have these experiences where she felt disrespected, particularly by men. So I said, okay, let's track back, like at what different points in your life and different relationships have you been feeling disrespected by men? So she tracked it back to, you know, the most recent situation was like a situation with a male sibling. Then she tracked it back to a relationship with a romantic partner and then her dad. Right. And then feelings of not just being disrespected by her dad, but feelings and observations of her dad disrespecting her mom. Hmm. So I said, well, what's your belief system about respect and being respected in men? You know, and we, we, we did that work to track that back. Right. And she said, basically, her belief system is that 
respect is something that has to be earned, right? She has to earn respect from people in order to get it. So if you have to earn respect from people and you don't inherently deserve respect and dignity just from being born, from being a human being walking around on this planet who is alive, right? Then you would behave in a completely different way. You would treat people in completely different ways. You would have a completely different vibrational um, signal if you think that you have to earn respect from people um, and that people have to uh, earn it from you. And which means that you would attract completely different type of people into your life, right? Like, so she is attracting people into mm. her life and she's attracting behaviors from the people in her life already that are pushing her to a place where she's trying to earn respect from them rather than her just being in her knowing that she's worthy of respect because she's here, she's alive, she's mm. present, right? So if you do have the belief system that you're worthy of dignity and respect, you were born that way, you will attract other people who are in that same range of vibrational alignment. Hmm. You attract a completely different person. Do you see how that works? It's fascinating at the end of the day, right? She would be attracting a completely different man and she would be attracting completely different types of interactions, right? From her brother and from her father. Once she shows up in this different way, and once they realize that they can't get what they want from her by engaging with her the way that they used to, right? By pushing her around and being disrespectful, that no longer works with her, right? She's no longer going to allow herself to be a victim in that role, hmm. right? Because she's, she's telling herself a story that they're disrespecting her because she hasn't earned their respect. But really... She's just living out that victimization energy, so to speak. And she right. continues to attract that same thing because she hasn't recognized right. it within herself. So her right. external reality is merely conforming to her internal experience. As you said, that belief 100%, system, she 100%. has truly, she has it out that this is something I, not that I am, but something that I, that I have to become. I was just having this conversation with somebody recently about the distinction between uh, becoming versus remembering mm. and how becoming is much like looking up at a mountain and saying, one day I will be there or I will be worthy of that mm. or I will be good enough. Or I, at, I, at the, once I've achieved this thing, then I can be in an intimate relationship and then I'll be worthy of love. Right. And that's the process of becoming versus the process of remembering is maybe much like in relating to that, that conversation of imagination where it's like, here I am, I'm looking down and all I'm doing is remembering that I was born exactly enough as I am. And as I look down, I, I can see all of the different cobwebs and, and old belief patterns and old gunk that is in the way of allowing the water to flow through naturally as it was designed. And mm -hmm that process of remembering is just saying, you know what, I, I am worthy. And now I need to deal with what's there because that's when what you're pointing at, I begin to attract something different because you go with you. And mm -hmm. as Amon Khan always says, you're always winning the game that you're playing. Oh my gosh. That's so good. So good. So true. There's no way that we can behave out of alignment with what we already believe about ourselves. So if we are, if we're having experiences that we don't prefer, if that's what we're manifesting in life, 
you must look at your belief system. You must. And I always tell people our behavior leaves clues. Our behaviors are like little breadcrumbs, you know, <laughs> when people are like, because people often can't explain why they behave the way they do. Right. Like you could ask somebody who does like something so-called wrong. Right. Which I don't believe in right and wrong anyway, good and bad, like these dichotomies that we operate in. Right. But you can ask somebody, let's say somebody engages in a behavior that's inappropriate. And you're like, why would you do that? Most people can't answer why. Like they just, they have no consciousness around why they did the thing that they just did. They're mm -hmm. just like, uh, you can't explain it. And then, but then most people start to like punish themselves. Mm -hmm. right because they their own guilt and shame over whatever it is that they did and the projected disappointment of the person right that's, i do that asking, why'd you do that right i, I totally do that i i've yeah. totally made mistakes and i make myself wrong totally in in my programming so i get it yeah yeah and it's all conditioning and indoctrination so we get asked why'd you do that and you're just like um i don't know i guess i'm just a fucking asshole hmm. that's not oh and there's the belief right Right. But that's not why you, why you did it. Right. Like, so we have to really like go back because, you know, you, if you think about it, like, what does this person really believe about themselves? You know, what do they believe about the situation? Like you kind of have to peel it apart like an onion, but I love this, this concept that you're talking about remembering versus, um, what was the other one? Um, but becoming. becoming remembering versus becoming two completely different things. Right. And I think, um, Remembering is like almost like a new school of thought in the spiritual awakening, uh, uh, you know, um, I guess, agenda, right? Where people are realizing like, you don't become your authentic self. I don't read a bunch of books and get a coach and learn how to become my authentic self. I've always Shit. been my authentic fucking self. <laughs> I've always been her. <laughs> She's just been inside, right? Like covered with a bunch of conditioning and indoctrination, and a bunch of bullshit. Right. So it's the process of like remembering my authentic self and reconnecting with my authentic self and removing excess. Removing, yeah. The layers take that apart. Right. Like really pick apart the belief systems that are leading me to a place where I am operating as anything other than that. Because there's a reason that we step like children are born into this world as their authentic selves. And then adults come around very well-meaning, loving people. We just want our children to survive, right? I'm not blaming parents. We just want our children to not die, literally, and to be safe on earth and, and to be safe in the communities in which we know that they're going to have to operate. That's what, that, this is where that comes from. So there has to be some awakening of understanding that what we're passing on to our kids when kids are raised is it becomes a legacy, hmm. becomes a family legacy. Whatever and then, you teach them about who they are and how to operate in the world. Mm, you were going to say? Yeah. What do you want to leave them with? That's, that's ultimately, and that's been a big thing. Legacy has become a big conversation, but I think what, what ends up being well-intended and uh, in, intention of love on parents' behalf, which I do believe that at the core, it is that, however, it gets expressed as fear. Oh, like totally. you need, you need to be this way. Right. I love you. And you need, you need to be this way. You need to put this, these types of clothing on, or you have to speak this type of language or this is now your, uh, your religious, religious belief system, or this is the school that you're going to go to. These are the friends that you can and cannot hang out with. And again, well-intentioned, 
all the time. One of the, I think one of the biggest prime directive fears that parents have is fucking up their kids. But if there's anything that I've learned with talking to parents is that every single one of them is just like, yep, that's just the reality. Your kids are be fucked up and it's not really like your fault. Like you did your best. And at this point, it's just about learning how to, how to not helicopter them, but to be able to allow them to slip and to fall and to help them back up and say, Oh, you like, you know, like, what did you learn? And, and being able to guide them versus it uh, trying to restrain and confine and, and push our agenda on them, which usually comes as a product of how our parent, their parents raised them. Like, Oh, I want to be better than that. So then we, we do our yeah. best as a parent and then the next generation is kind of the same thing. But I think at some point there is a, you have to just acknowledge that no matter what you do, your shit, your, your shit is going to go through kids. Your kids are going to go through some shit yeah. and, and it's yeah. not about trying to help them to avoid it at all costs. Matter of fact, that's much like uh, the story of, I believe it was um, the Buddha and how he, his father, they grew up in a very like wealthy, wealthy, wealthy family. He was like a king or something like that. And they tell a story about how the, the king had received this prophecy that his son would become one of two things. He would either become a great leader that would reign over the lands and, and lead the people towards great success, or he would become a great spiritual teacher that would awaken the world or something to that extent. And because his father did not want him to go the second path, the path of this you know spiritual awakening, he gave his son everything that he could ever want the women, the money, the riches, everything he could ever want. And he removed every bit of suffering. He, he tried to get every wow. obstacle out of the way. But yeah. one day he's walking through the city and he sees a poor person. And then another day he sees somebody dies. I know someone will know the story better than I did, but ultimately the Buddha comes to realize that it wasn't all sunshines and rainbows. And he goes and he, he leaves everything that he's known. It's kind of like the hero's journey, but you, you, you see that in his journey that his father was well-intentioned in a way, but at the same time, there is a point where you just have to let the experience be the experience and not try to predict and control an outcome, anxiety, fear. Mm -hmm. That's what's usually driving it and just say, you're going to slip, you're going to fall. And love says, I'm always going to be there to pick you back up. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. That, I mean, if that were the predominant type of parenting in the world, right? Or even just the parenting that has the understanding that I'm not always going to be the best person to support what your, your needs, you know, or your struggle. Mm. That would take yeah. a lot of pressure off of parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I had somebody say to me the other day, it was, she, you know, I was in a suffering place, honestly. And, uh, and she goes, she's, she's, she's a very straight talker, you know, and she goes, well, do you trust God? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And she goes, you can't just trust God when things are going well. You know, you have to also trust God when things are going tough. You know, you have to have faith that you're going to get through that thing. You know, that if you trusted him when things were going well and it went well, that you, you know, that you can trust when things are hard. You know, can you imagine that from a parenting perspective? And I acknowledge I'm speaking as a non-parent, but I have support, uh, played a big role in raising a child before. That you know, how what what would parenting look like if if parents just like had this came from a place of trusting that like 
my child, I trust that my child is going to figure this out. Is my child, I trust that my child, that I did my best with my child, especially with adult children, right? Which is my experience now with my parents, right? Where, where my parents are in some ways are still trying to parent me, you know, or have tried to parent me and I'm in my thirties and I've had to say like, you're at some point, you're just going to have to trust your parenting, right? And that I will figure this out just like I figured out everything else, right? Mm. My parents couldn't, they didn't know everything. They didn't, you know, they couldn't do everything for me. My, you know, we had a working class family. My parents are immigrants. They didn't grow up or go to school in the United States. So I, I was alone in that journey for the most part and putting myself through school and figuring things out and have a mom or a dad that could call the school and say, Hey, you know, my daughter, this, that, or the other, can you waive a late fee? Like that was me. You know, so uh, well, like if our, our if our parents like did their best and then just trusted that their kids are in, are going to figure it out because they have to figure it out because what other option is there? They're going to figure it out, you know. But the bailouts, right? The bailouts come, and then the kids don't learn don't learn critical life lessons that they could have otherwise learned. But we'll mm-hmm. see. You know, it's I think it's part of the journey and the experience of parenting is that. You realize, you know, I think probably brand new parents go into it like, I'm not going to be anything like my parents. And then you end up being just like your parents. Exactly right? that. You're, it's the thing you're resisting, right? So what you resist persists. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're trying to not be your mom or trying to not be your dad. And you wake up one day and you realize like, oh, shit, I'm my mom. <laughs> Pretty much. Because it's the opposite side of this. You try to be the opposite side of the spectrum. But the funny thing is, it's just the opposite side of the same coin. It's, it's yeah. one of the same. It's one and the same. And it's what you know. So unless you're like significantly going to attempt to break a legacy pattern, right, which is going to involve like some the deep self work, right, to like change the direct the trajectory of a legacy pattern, because it's a it's cyclical, right? We talk about you, you have you've heard of the cycle of abuse, right? Like, um, the abuse, mm. it's an abusive cycle. If you've been abused, you abused and so on and so forth. That's part of the cycle. Like basically like, um, within the cycle of abuse, it talks about how there's, you know, uh, within, when it's relationship specific, um, you know, there's an abusive scenario or situation that happens. And then there's like a refractory period until the next one. But then those are behaviors within relationships that are passed on to kids. So kids in that relationship who observe adults being abusive towards one another, whether it's physical or emotional, verbal, things like that, mental manipulation, things like that, like they can easily learn those those things and, and do those things, right? So then it becomes this like legacy over generations worth of families because the abusive patterns and cycles become embedded in the conditioning and indoctrination that's being passed down to every generation, right? Just like abusive cycles are passed down or created and passed down, healthy cycles can be created and passed down, mm-hmm. you know, but you have to, if you if you have a generational legacy of abusive cycles in your, in your family history, like, Somebody has to break that cycle. Someone must step up and be the person that says this is no longer going to be acceptable in our family, right? Whether that is directly communicated or not communicated to the family, right? Depending on where the family is and its ability to do healing work together, there Mm -hmm. must at least be one person that says I'm going to step out of the abusive cycle 
and stop the cycle for my descendants of this gener of this family, right? For my descendancy, right? So that would be like whatever, you know, if you have, if you come from a family and you're one of many siblings, right? Like you could actually see, you know, okay, everybody in my family tree has had been in abusive relationships, right? Like I can actually see that in my family going back like multiple generations. Hmm. So I had a, like a healing, a healer tell me like, you're the, you're the person who was chosen to break the cycle of abuse in your family history and legacy, right? In which I actually was something that I had felt for a long time. I just didn't understand it. And so, and, and still I found myself in a toxic relationship for a long hmm. time. Right. So I still repeated the cycle and then had to go through my process of awakening to realize like, this is not the life I intended to live when I came here. Right. Remembering. Right. This is not who I am because I remembered not because anybody told me or, you know, because I became a different person, even though it felt like that to people on the outside. It felt like I changed. Right. It was really just I remembered who I oh, am. Oh, you've changed. Yeah. You think you're better than us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That happened to me. And then, you know, through my healing process and my journey and all of that and working with different spiritual and practical healers, I I was like, of, of, uh, in the cycles of abuse. And I was like, holy shit. Yes, I feel that. Right. So through some way, whether it's education, spiritual work, you know, uh, belief system work, something, right? Like, you have to actually step out of the cycle in order to become a different uh, type of, or in order to be able to different, right? In the future to do that, I have to step out of the cycles that have kept generations of women in my family in abusive relationships, hmm. right? And that actually does take deep reflection and work to do that. You know, because otherwise, subconsciously, we are that thing. That thing is us. It's in us. We're in it. We're in the cycle, right? It's like a fish in water. A fish doesn't know that it's in water. That's its environment, you know? Mm. We don't know any better. We're in our environment, you know? As much as we think to ourselves, I'll never be like my mom or dad. Trust me, you will most likely end up like one of them unless we do the significant work to step out of the cycle and create mm. a different legacy, which is actually a beautiful journey. It's a beautiful unfolding, right? Mm. Like I, when I think about like my future possibilities for my family and how I would parent and how I would, how I would be present in that space, right? It's not, I can't look to my past to draw uh, visions of what that future would look like because that doesn't exist in my past, you know? So I have to look at other families, other couples, other examples, and look at, you know, other types of, of uh, you know, spiritual and practical possibilities for what that could look like. Hmm. And then create from there, right? From my, from my heart, the authentic place of my heart. Can I visualize and create that from there so that I can manifest it and bring it into my reality, which is what we were talking about earlier, right? Visualization and manifestation. So it starts with like the understanding, the remembering that you were talking about from the place of the authentic self and combined with all the practices, combined with the self-awareness, combined with the, you know, the, the understanding of like, 
what has the legacy of my family been? What do I want it to be going forward? Mm. What's my role in changing that? To me, it's always been a bigger picture. It's always been a, a bigger game. It's not even just about me. I remember when I was a kid, um, probably, gosh, preteen years, if not younger, me having an understanding over my duty, role, and responsibility for future generations of my family, meaning people that were not even born yet. Wow. I had that understanding as a child. And that's what I hope people will understand now. Like, you, we, we all hold this, you know, it's like this, I don't know, I don't even know what to call it. Growth, what would you call it? Like, just this, like, beautiful opportunity thing right? Like, yeah, like it's an opportunity, but it's, you know, it's like holding something super fragile, you know, Mm. but that you have total influence over, you know, and that thing, that super fragile thing is the thing that you pass on, right? It got passed on to you from your descendants, you'll pass it on to, you know, so, and you could, people, people like, like that is an, it's an honor, it's a duty, it's a responsibility, right? When I think about it from the spiritual perspective of like, you know, I made a, I made a spiritual contract with my parents, you know, before I was ever born, that they would be the means by which I arrived, right? And so on, like, right? I have a spiritual contract with a soul somewhere, right? To engage in certain ways, right? What is that? Like, how do I prepare myself to be the best steward of that responsibility? Hmm. This is great. So you are pointing out a, a soul contract. So it's in a way, cause I, I've heard this, this described before in that it's like, before you, you come down, you have a meeting with your higher self or your, 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 um, your parents, so to speak. And you, you essentially sign a contract and say, these are the things that we are going to practice this this time around. And we're going to see how this is going to go. And then we drop out of consciousness. We, we drop down into our baby form and, and we're losing our shit and come out into the light and, and, uh, and we go into the light. And then at the end we go into the light, apparently. And it's like, we're, if we're playing the game, it would seem as it were to be played, we're remembering each step. If we're if we're constantly in a place of going from awareness, shifting beliefs, taking new actions, and then at the end result, we we look in hindsight, the rearview mirror has gotten clear. We can say, "Oh, look at that," and we we take something, we leave something behind, and we keep on stepping and remember and remember. And to be able to have the opportunity, really, to leave a, a legacy, mm-hmm. which is the the product of all of the things that we've been through, experienced, learned, overcome, it can be terrifying if we let it, or it can be, or we can embrace the, the terrifyingness of it, but we can also embrace it as this, this possibility of a future for generations to come where they are called and inspired to be everything that they came into this world to be, to find, follow and live their truth. And it seems like this is something we say, like there's like this mass global awakening that is occurring and, 
And what it is, is that more and more people are, we say like, you know, you hear the term woke waking up, but in a, in a way it's like the, the blindfold comes down, the mask is removed and what's left is the essence and the essence is remembering it is, we are remembering the essence so the essence can express itself and begin to dance as it was to designed to dance in the very beginning versus, you know, shoulders back, chest up, you know, having to really formalize and, and indoctrinate these ideas. But we talked about this a little bit before we got on where I was like, we have to hit record. This is getting way, 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 way too deep. Like this should be inside of the podcast. So we, yeah. we had mentioned that the idea of a midlife crisis Oh yeah. Happening earlier. And mm -hmm. the, the weirdness of how, like uh, we, I mentioned that, that study, this woman did, she was a nurse and she was uh, with people with a, with an elderly community. She was working and nursing them. And as they were kind of heading off into the, uh, the next evolution and there's, they were you know transmitting and transmuting through uh, and at the end of their lives, she asked them, you know, like, what were their, you know, what were your biggest regrets and the top five regrets, uh, the number one top, the number one of the top five of the regrets was that they had wished they had had the courage to live a life that was true to them rather yeah. than the life that others expected of them. Oh my God. Well. And, and you pointed out <laughs> the idea that in a way it's like generationally, that generation only got that realization at the end of their life. Yeah. One more generation comes through the next legacy plays mm -hmm. its time. And now it's a midlife. Right. But you said something that was really brilliant. And that was that now people in their twenties and thirties might be having their midlife end of life crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly because of, of uh, traumatic life events, you know, that I think that too, but also because, um, the 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 right the raising of mass global consciousness right and the opportunity to actually have that awakening and that understanding is now like permeating communities and individuals at much younger ages again this is the impact of legacy right because there were spiritual healers and other people who were so-called woke in generations before us right that nurtured that in the next generation that was their legacy right like I hope that my grandchildren one day talk about their grandmother being a healer and mm. supporting people in their awakening. Right. I hope that for you too. Right. But I can see now, like if I want my grandchildren to be in that space where they're spiritually awakened individuals, and also there is a, like they can see and trace back the legacy of that in their family history. Like I have to create that now while I'm still young. I still have to, I have to do that now, not when I'm dying and I'm in, mm -hmm. you know, in my later stages of life that's here now today because that's the calling that like, that's the purpose that i'm being called uh on a higher help called to acknowledge called to be in called to to have purpose in here and now at this point in time in my life but yeah i absolutely think people are being called to to awaken much earlier in life um and i'll tell people like for me i had a i had a traumatic medical experience when i was about 33 i had a medical malpractice and i and i almost died that was up to that point in time the most traumatic event that had ever happened to me in my life and you know in, in when i think about it in hindsight now this is about 7 years out i as traumatic as that was and i'm and i'm I still find myself going through periods where I'm processing it, right? And processing the emotions associated with it. 
Yeah. But as, as traumatic as, as that was, I do have some gratitude for the fact that that woke me up. I am, I, I have at the same time, I have gratitude for the, for the experience because that's what it took, right? Like it took me almost dying to wake up. So like, I'll tell people like, you don't have to almost die to wake up. It's an option, right? Like good luck getting that close to the edge (laughs) and not falling over because you don't like, you can't plan that, right? You can't get that close to the edge on purpose and know for certain that you're not going to fall over. Right. Like for most people, like we just got lucky, (laughs) you know, like I just got lucky. I had some great doctors and other people, right. That supported me in my, in my return and well-being and things like that in my recovery. But, you know, you don't, you don't have to almost die to wake up. You don't have to have a severely traumatic experience. You don't have to have a, a complete total, you know, mental or emotional breakdown or heartbreak, you know, to wake up. Like you could waking up and deciding to pursue your purpose or even just to acknowledge that you have a purpose and that you would like to know what it is. That just takes a decision that you could do from the comfort of your own home in your pajamas. <laughs> Right. During a mass pandemic, when you have nothing better to do than to spend exactly. a little bit of time with yourself and maybe do like a little right bit of work. <laughs> yes. Like right now would be a perfect time for mass global consciousness to expand, right? Because most people are in the safety and well-being of their of their own homes, right? Most people, we understand that there is an extraordinary amount of suffering in the global mass consciousness also, right? Of course. And I think for most people like us, like we can actually even like physically and emotionally feel that hurt and that pain. But for, for the vast majority of people who are in their homes, relatively safe, right? Assuming, you know, some sense of safety at home, they're not at home with an abuser, right? So they're not in survival mode, right? For those of us who are not in survival mode at this point in time, this experience should be kicking up your dust. You know, if you're in, you know, people in quarantine as, as couples and as families, like this shit should be kicking up your dust. Yes. You know, and if it's not kicking up your dust, that's a bigger concern than if it is kicking up your dust. Right. And this is a great opportunity to take a moment and take some time to really look at what's in those dust particles. Right. Why am I being triggered? What are these? Where is this trigger coming from? You know, why do I keep manifesting this experience over and over again? Right. Such as being disrespected by people. Right. For me growing up, it was being treated like I was invisible. That was the experience I kept manifesting over and over again. I had to really look at what's in my belief system for me to continue to manifest this particular experience that I don't prefer. Right. And what I, what I found when I followed the breadcrumbs, right. What I found was that I had a belief system that other people's wants and needs were more important than mine. All of a sudden those experiences make sense. Right. If I believe other people's wants and needs are more important than mine, then it would make sense that when I'm trying to fulfill one of my wants and needs, somebody would come and treat me like I'm invisible move me out of the way and meet their own want and need instead of me having the opportunity to do that. And that I would just sit there and project my anger at myself on them. See how that works. Hmm. So it's just, it's a, it's a fascinating, I think it's a really exciting 
time to be alive. It's a fascinating opportunity to really look at like what is inside, you know, it's less important how it got there, even though like finding, you know, the trails back to like, Oh, where did this come from? That's interesting. Right. If you, if for people who are maybe like more like further along in their evolution um, and they have the time and energy or they have the support system to really kind of follow the breadcrumbs back to like, Oh, that came from my mom or my dad, my grandfather, my grandmother, or a teacher or another person growing up. Mm -hmm. But it really doesn't matter where it came from. If the thing is alive in you and it's no longer serving you, it's time to address it, even if it's painful. But Mm -hmm. most people are, uh, we resist addressing it. And I've done this too. And I will still do this because this is human nature. We We all have our flavors of doing it in different areas. When we'll resist addressing the thing, because the feeling is that if if I feel that thing, Like if I acknowledge that that thing is real and it exists, and then I feel that I might never stop feeling that. Hmm. Right. So we resist Hmm. feeling and in the resisting of feeling, whatever that is, sadness, grief, um, you know, um, whatever we would perceive as like a negative emotion that we don't want to experience. Right. I don't think any emotions are actually negative, but this is just generally how people categorize emotions, good ones or bad ones, positive ones or negative ones. Right. You know, that that kind of expression, right. Anger, you know, uh, typically like expressions of emotions that we have been indoctrinated and conditioned to believe are not good are, and that we should not feel right. Not right. For some reason. Right. Exactly. So we resist feeling those things. And in the resistance of feeling that thing, you get yourself stuck in feeling the thing. Mm-hmm. So we actually end up manifesting. Up. And, yes. And we manifest exactly that, which we're trying so desperately to avoid. Hence just, doing, trying just, to be the opposite of your parents. Yes, exactly. We end up driving the car there and putting it in park. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to stay here in this place where I'm resisting my grief. Right. So we were also talking about, you know, uh, people withdrawing and isolating during this time frame. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a lot of where that comes from, you know, and I saw that in some of my clients and I, I experienced some of that myself too, where it was like, um, at whatever point in time, just like this wave of like devastating grief over the situation that we're in and the suffering in the world hit me. Right. And I, and then my initial reaction to it is that I started judging it and I, I didn't, I resisted even calling it grief, but then I started like thinking to myself, what the hell is wrong with me? Right. Instead of just like acknowledging like, Oh, I'm experiencing grief. Let me just, let me just like be with that. And what, in whatever way that wants to show up in my body in my world right now, like in my expression, right? How does, how does, uh, what pathway does grief need to leave my body? Let me open that up, right? Like, Mm. no, I didn't do that at first. What I first did was like, um, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Weird thing (laughs) that I'm feeling. (laughs) So foreign. Yes. And I was like, I don't, I don't like this. I don't want to feel this. I don't, what the fuck? It's like a stranger walking into your house, just like eating food. And you're like, how the hell did, yeah. how did you get in here? Why are you, why? That's my favorite bag of chips. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with you? 
(laughs) And then I just started judging the hell out of it. And in that, and saying to myself, like, what the hell is wrong with you? You know, like you, you're, this is, this is what we all use. What many people use, like, you're so blessed. You're so lucky. You should be grateful. Right. And that is like a slap of in the face. That's basically telling you shame on you. You shouldn't feel that way. Right. Shame on you for feeling grief. Shame on you for feeling sadness. You should be grateful. You're so blessed. Look at everything you have around you. You have shelter. You're healthy. You're not in the hospital. You don't have a family member in the hospital. Yeah. And so I went through that stage where I had to shame and guilt myself. Right. Until I finally just overcame me and I finally just fucking cried it out. Well, and for whatever point in time that I was crying it out, it felt amazing. Because I, it was like choking me. It was like having something tied around my neck that wasn't letting it come out. And when it came out, it came out in its process. It For me, it looked like crying. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like a mix of like crying and laughing. And then subsequently, <laughs> right after that, I had my breakthrough. Like I had a huge personal spiritual breakthrough after that. Freedom. Yeah, freedom. And it felt so much better. Right. But I have and I've seen that, you know, that same pattern that I lived out. I get it because I lived it out. You know, so this is what I'm saying. Like the mind and our conditioning and our patterns are so strong that even when you do coaching or healing work for a living, that doesn't preclude you from falling into the same traps that you try to coach people through. Right. No, in matter of fact, it just shows you the traps that are there, but you, (laughs) you are in the battlefield. That's one thing I noticed in in the coaching work that I've done and everything else that if anything, me being in the work has me doing more of the work because I have to be in alignment with that practice. Now, if I can see something in someone else, and I think that's the greatest thing about having a mentor or coach or anyone else is they can hold up a mirror so you can see that reflection. Mm -hmm. Now you can't act like it's not there. Mm -mm. You'll get, you'll get real quick imposter syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, and you can't be, you can't be totally present in the work as you lead other people through it. If you're going to sit there and try to act like that doesn't happen to you or that's never happened to you, you've never felt that. Like the reason that I am effective with my clients is because I have fucking been there. Like I felt the thing, right? Like I'm just a few steps ahead of them here. Like, yeah. Like the thing that they're telling me on today's coaching call about how they're totally resisting sadness. How do I recognize what it is? and have the ability to support them in understanding what it is because I just went through that last week. You walked it. Right. Exactly. I walked that path. Right. And I got myself through it in whatever way it was, but yeah, I had to have quite a few moments and I did reach out to people for help and support and things like that towards the end of it, like right before my breakthrough. So that's why I think sometimes like a breakthrough is just imminent. Right. And like, God starts to universe starts to align, you know, cooperative components, people, Mm. somebody said this, somebody dropped me this other nugget over here, over there, you know, it was so it was like two or three days worth of time where I was talking to different people that were like dropping little pieces on me that finally like facilitated like that heart opening. That release. Yes. And the release. And you said something that was really great about the, basically we have a choice. We can make personal transformation. This is something I I picked up from Joe Dispenza is we can make personal transformation in a state of joy and happiness, Mm -hmm. or we can do it in a state of suffering and pain. And ultimately, and I had this experience, this was a real life changing experience, very simple, uh, simple lesson for some reason, or it's seemingly simple, but it changed my life was one day I was at the beach and 
I was for the longest time, I actually didn't have like a super awesome relationship to going to the beach. Cause of my, the only thing I can remember is when you, when you go back, how like you feel sticky and salty and, <laughs> and you just like, I just want to take a shower. So I went with this belief, still this idea. And I remember at one point I was like, you know, I'm going to go under the water. So I went onto the water and as I was trying to go deeper and deeper, I found myself like coming up against these waves and they were smacking against me and smacking against me. Mm. And then at one point, I saw the wave coming and right as it came, I like almost fell into a fetal position, but also rolled at the same time. And I danced through the wave Mm. and I did it a couple more times, a couple more times. And then I just came up and I just took this massive inhale, just, Oh, and I had this revelation Mm. to life that, Sometimes the waves that we're experiencing in life are happiness. Sometimes they're despair. Sometimes they're sadness. Sometimes they're content. But whatever the waves are, are the waves. And we can either come up against and smack and resist and fight and push. Or we can surrender and dance with them because this too will pass. Mm, So true. And to give ourselves the space to experience them. You, you pointed out so brilliantly is that there, there is no bad, good, right, wrong emotions. They just are, they are what they are. And this is like that dichotomy that I think that we get lost in. It's like, and I'm, I really, I'm really want to be mindful with what I'm saying here because I don't understand it full to the depth. But when you think about the story of Adam and Eve and how they ate of the knowledge of good and evil, mm-hmm. so that this is basically like this is the greatest sin. But sometimes I, almost from that, I want to deduce that in in eating the, that apple and in gaining the knowledge of good and evil, what we inherently do is we create separation. And oh, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm, we, make, we make the bad, bad. We should avoid bad, this hedonistic pleasure, euphoria seeking mentality, avoid pain and seek pleasure, or we can inherently see that they're all a part of the same spectrum that me trying to avoid my dad being like my dad is inherently going to be the exact same thing on the other side that me trying to avoid pain is ultimately going to lead to me experiencing pain somewhere else. Or I can just acknowledge that it is, and it's okay that it is. And when the wave comes, I don't need to brace for impact. I can just roll with the punches, dance with it, learn to love it because it's in that experience that we begin to remember our wholeness. And part of our wholeness as a human being is just like a wave. It has peaks and it has troughs and it goes up and it goes down. Yeah. I love the analogy of the wave because, you know, just, just like the experience of being in the ocean with the waves, right. You know, same as with our emotions, like if you fight the waves, you're more likely to drown, right? If you fight feeling the emotions, if you fight feeling, you know, if you tell yourself you're wrong for having the thoughts, if you identify with the thoughts instead, you believe that they're who you are, right? Like essentially if you fight, you're more likely to, that represents resistance, right? You are more likely to get stuck. You are more likely to drown, right? Mm. So it's, it's, um, it's, there's so many parallels to, to life in nature. Yeah. It's, it's actually really beautiful. This is yeah. so perfect. Cause that was an awesome story. 
This is so perfect because I, I just had this flash in my brain. And I was like, wow, like this is such a great way to button everything. Because at the end of the day, making a choice to see the wave, experience the wave and let it go, that is fulfilling upon your original intention, which is surrender. Ooh, yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> there we are, full circle. Yay. <laughs> Could have played out any better if we had planned it. <laughs> no, absolutely not, which is why this is just like a perfect way to to bring it to, which is started off with intention of surrender and, yeah. you know, just really allowing that experience to be the experience. And we've, we've gone through a journey, the, the mm-hmm. spectrum of life and the good yeah. and bad and the, the illusion of the dichotomy and the, the sharing of the personal journeys and struggle and how apparently, apparently inherently it is in the looking in that rear view mirror that we begin to see that, Oh, these are all those breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. These are all those things that are reminding us to remember our wholeness our descendants out of consciousness. This is that journey and that we can leave a legacy, leave something to the next generation that inspires them. My hope is that they find, follow and live their truth. And absolutely. We all find that love within ourselves a little bit more. So I want to ask you, what is one thing Mm bringing it to a pragmatic level? We've, we've talked about a lot of things, but how do we pragmatically begin to live Mm-hmm. this life, this, uh, this life of truth, of, of love, of remembering, of surrendering to the process and maybe even finding a little bit of joy in that process too. Mm, yeah. One pra- like practical thing that people could do. Yeah. What's something that we can, we can really take from this and put into our lives. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, I really like, I love the practice of meditation Mm-hmm. But a lot of people resist meditation, you know, and what I say is like, it's not like if, if calling it that is going to cause you resistance, then Ooh. don't call it that. Right. If the idea of like sitting on a pillow and closing your eyes for a few moments, you know, if that's the thing that causes resistance, don't call it that. But spend time in solitude. Mm-hmm. Spend time with just you. You know, it doesn't matter what you're actually doing in the moment, right? For some of us who've been meditating, then, you know, meditate more. See see if you could do that for one more minute, you know, five more minutes or a second time during the day for five minutes, right? But if you're brand new, just try spending time in solitude, just in quiet solitude with you, right? Like, here's what I can tell you about, about the experience is that in that moment of quiet solitude, you're more likely to, when you give that gift to yourself, you're more likely to find somebody that you Mm. like than you are (laughs) to find somebody that you dislike. Just give yourself the gift, you know, and see who shows up. That's all. Mm. Super simple, right? I'd, I'd love to add to this because my journey of meditation has been every single bit of a shit show. And, but in the best way, it's the most beautiful shit show and I love it and I embrace it. But for me, like I am, if you're anything like me, you're extremely high strung. You have just a copious amount of, you have enough energy for yourself and everyone else in the room and (laughs) trying to sit that monkey mind down to sit that body down for even a minute. Oh my gosh. I think back to the beginning of my journey. A minute was the most laborious, arduous, just 
tongue biting. Oh, you know, like when you stub your toe, like on the corner of like, like a bed or something, you're like, that's the most awful pain that could ever experience right your yeah. pinky toe. That's well, because the, the body will revolt. Yes. Yes, it totally does. Yeah. That's the moment where everything on your skin itches everywhere. <laughs> yes. And you know? <clears throat> in, inside of that journey for me, what I'm finding is that, oh, oh it cut out. What'd you say? I said it's the subconscious mind, right? yes. which is the body. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'm finding in my meditation journey is that redefine what meditation looks like for you because I actually personally now don't think meditation is just sitting cross-legged saying, oh, that meditation, the intention is really to become aware of, to uh, in the, um, what is it? I think it's the Tibetan the Tibetan uh, version of it is to become familiar with. Mm-hmm. And that can be sitting closed eyes, you know, cross-legged. If, if what helps is to open one eyes and focus on a single point, you can do that. Uh, even a mindfulness practice of going outside and just walking barefoot and just intently looking and becoming aware of the breath and the body and everything that's doing to me that these are all actually practices of in essence, what we're trying to do, which is to become extremely mindful to fully immerse our mind in what we're doing. And, right. and then you I, see the, the thoughts will become silent in that moment. Yeah. 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 So it could be movement of the body. It could be a yoga practice. I see you doing your acro yoga. That could be your meditation, mm-hmm. right? Just, doing taking some time to do that practice just on your own right by yourself so you don't you're not in active conversation with another person in the moment but just being present with you fully in your body fully with your breath feeling your heartbeat right like experiencing the sweat beating on your skin right like doing the things that that you feel like are a physical uh challenge or stretch for you like let mm. me see if I can do this. Let me try that. Right. Even going for a run, right. Like that focus on the body and on the movement. And like, you know, if anything, I might have a thought that's like, let, let me see if I can get at least that far kind of thing. Right. And just like the challenge to the self and, and the, the encouragement, the pushing of the self, like, can I do this? I wonder if I can do that. Let me try that and see if it works. Like, just look, having that experience with yourself of being almost like in awe and childlike wonder, hmm. right? Or even if it's like you're outside, you're looking at the moon, right? There's a full moon coming up in a, in a few weeks. I think it's May 7th, right? Like having yes. that experience of appreciating, you know, a full or a new moon, a sunset or a sunrise, um, anything. It just, it doesn't have to be the traditional or the typical picture that people get in their minds of like what is sitting still it could be a walking meditation mm-hmm. right where you're just you just you're going at it with the intention of just being fully present with you mm-hmm. you know just be fully present with yourself i personally i love gardening where i live now i can't garden as much but gardening does that to, for me too like i just i get totally out of my head and I'm just present with the plants, you know, and I just like, I, I, I feel an energetic exchange of love in those interactions, hmm. you know, and you can feel like anything that's, that's going to create an energetic exchange of love with yourself. Engage in that, right? People have a ton of resistance towards journaling. Don't fucking call it that. 
right? Just call it writing down your ideas. I'm going to grab my notebook and write down some ideas. Jot down some notes. Yeah. We, we overcomplicate things. Oh, totally. We just, we get way too complicated, you know, and we, we get caught up in the perfectionism of like, if I can't meditate right. Properly. Right. Correctly. <laughs> you know, as if there's a teacher in the room is going to give me a grade, right? Like if I can't do it right, then I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong when it comes to you being with you. Who the hell dictates that besides you? <laughs> the inner critic. And this is perfect because to, to bring this to full circle for me is if I'm noticing my thoughts are going haywire or if I notice I really can't drop in, instead of resisting and getting mad and frustrated, I'm not meditating. I just start laughing. I'm like, oh, look at that. My mind's going crazy. Oh, look at that. My mind's got thoughts. Oh, look at that. My, my body really wants to get up. Oh, okay. And I just play. I play with what it's kind of energetically giving me. And that in and of itself, just the acknowledgement of the resistance allows yeah. the resistance to begin to dissipate. Right. Right. Yeah. I would have those moments when I would sit down to meditate and all of a sudden, like everything itches. Right. And, or like, I gotta, my legs are falling asleep. I it's, it's so it was always something, you know, and it takes time for that to go away. Like it takes time in the practice. The body has to be entrained to that. Like, you know, who's in charge. This is what I'm doing right now. I'm sitting down for 20 minutes and I'm going to engage in a meditation, but you don't, mm. you know, most people will give up before they get to the point in time where they are, you know, have trained their own self to engage in a practice fully, you know, and, and push through all of the, like the personal barriers that pop up, the resistance yes. that pops up, right? Like, it's okay if it pops up, just acknowledge it. Like, yep, my whole face itches right now. <laughs> just going to let that happen, right? Like, right? Like, if it itches, scratch, right? And then move on. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, just let it be fun. Let it be fun. Yeah. yeah. I love I, I love your uh, suggestion of just like laughing about it. I play. That's That's it. And really bringing it all full circle. So your, your idea of meditation, find your meditation, find mm-hmm. that thing that works for you when yeah. you observe the resistance. Cause guess what? It is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Bring, bring playfulness, bring nothing, bring whatever helps you to just acknowledge it and let it go. And yeah. Playfulness is much better than judgment. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It feels different too. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And awesome if, talk. Oh, it's been so great. And for people who are wanting to connect with you, what is what is the way to do this? Holla yeah, at your so girl. My name is Oriana Guevara, and um, you can find me on social media as Coach Oriana. So my handle pretty much on every platform is at Coach Oriana. So you'll find me there. And um, my thing is relationships, um, self-leadership, personal performance, those are those are my areas of of uh, healing and expertise, and mm. uh, that's those are the areas where I've done my work. I continue to do my work, and that's those are the areas where I love to support people. So, Brilliant. if you'd like to uh, visit me on social media at Coach Oriana, or my website is CoachOriana.com. And all that'll be in the notes, y'all. So yeah. you know, check it. You want to check her out? She's yeah. a great beautiful, awesome, amazing, just brilliant person. I'm so grateful to have you in my life. Thank you. I'm grateful to have you in my life as well. Yeah. It's been very, very nice to get to know you better over the last couple of months. And, uh, I feel, I feel your supportive presence in my life and I appreciate it. So thank you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. 
And for those of you listening, you made it this far, as always, thank you. Grateful as hell for you. And whatever you do, do something, do something for yourself. And as always, find, follow, and live your truth and continue to follow the wolf within you. How? Peace. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening in. If you got value out of this message, we would love it if you subscribed and shared it with your tribe so we can continue to share this message and this medicine with people all over the world. Much love and peace be with you.